Hive of Club members. I'm Jen Bozier. And I'm Carrie Honey. And this is Warhammer 40k Book Club, where we read from a crag. This is episode number 29, and our book is The Last Hunt by Robbie McNibbitt. We hosted several White Scars! So this book is about a the fourth company of the White Scars as they go to defend one of their recruiting worlds from an invasion of the Nids. Not just any we Nids. The leftover the nids. The leftovers from of the devastation of Ball. Yeah. Hmm. Damn space vampires, clean up your trash. So we posted several questions on our <laughs> they website. Were a little, uh, wounded <laughs> and dead. <laughs> okay. They still could have taken out the trash, I'm just saying. Or Robbie G could have. I mean he came in at the end. He could have chased them all out, but you know. Focus woman. <laughs> we posted several questions on our website, wh40kbookclub.com, and we encourage participation in our discussions via Twitter, YouTube, our site, or Encrypted Box channel. Spoiler warning, if you haven't yet read this book, go ahead and read the book, go to the site, check out the questions, and then come back to this episode as we'll be talking about this book in great detail. And I feel like this book, a lot of the books we read, like I would feel really bad if we inadvertently spoiled it, but this one in particular, I feel as though, I feel as though it would be a disservice to somebody. So with that, let's yeah, dive we, in. Yeah, we can't, you can't discuss this book without spoiling it. It's just... It's really difficult. It really is. Um, so let's dive in. Did you like it? I don't know yet. <laughs> I... <laughs> I'm kind of back and forth on it. I mean, so I know how you feel about it. I'll let you, <laughs> I'll let you have the reins here in a second. But so the time travel thing doesn't entirely bother me. And she's twitching for our audio listeners, um, visibly twitching <laughs> on camera. It, um, it doesn't bother me as much. Um, because the more I was thinking about it, it's like, well, how else would this have gone when you only have one company? You only have 100 space marines handling this. And yes, even though it is a smaller, you know, kind of piece of the overall pie, mm -hmm. how many, not companies, how many chapters of Blood Angel and Blood Angel descendants were there and all of them died, all the chapters died, but two? Right. So, I mean... Only you, the ones wearing plot armor. Right. <laughs> the ones that were going to be saved. Yes. <laughs> Only the ones that were important, let's be clear. Well, I mean, come on. Was there really any other Blood Angels chapter in there that you're sad is gone? Literally not a single one. Like the blood drinkers, you know? This is gross. This is gross. Um, so we only have one company. <laughs> I don't know how else it would have would have gone unless mm -hmm. there was not that whole massive uh, gene stealer cult under the city. That is that's because they even said they you know they were all confused. They've gotten the fleets blown out of the sky. They uh, have. They've destroyed all the hive tyrants, so they have no idea why they're, you know, c coming together again. So if it wasn't for that, they would have been just fine. 
Other than that, they would have needed the entire chapter or at least half the chapter. Otherwise, I don't see any other way they get out of this alive. Which just, I guess, right. there's always sending that final order up to the sky because Shen's just mm-hmm. fine up there. Just exterminatus. Right. Dust off. Nuke the site from orbit. Yep. It's the only way to be sure. Yeah. So, Carrie knows this about me because we have read comic books together for a really long time. I've been an avid comic reader since I was a kid. And there are three things that I hate and will destroy a series from me. I have stopped reading so many comic series over the years because of three things. One, time travel. Two, alternate dimensions. And three, alternate versions of people due to either one or two. This book has two of the three things. So, and it's nothing, it's actually nothing against Robbie McNevin. I just don't like time travel. And it's unfortunate that that's one of my, it's one of my trigger issues. Um, I don't like it. I don't like it as a plot twist. And I think I've always, and I've always said this, and it's amazing how many times we go back to talking about Bioshock Infinite on this podcast. Um, <laughs> but in my review for Bioshock Infinite, when it came out forever ago, I said that if you need to resort to time travel or alternate dimensions to tell your story, full stop, go back and rework it. I'm just, it's just, it's one of those, things that I'm not a fan of. I don't like it. And if you're asking, hey, did you like it when Avengers Endgame pulled it out? Not really, no. Um, we would have. <laughs> I, I would have been okay with it had they just chopped off the last 20 minutes of that movie. Yeah, well, actually, I guess less five minutes of the movie. Probably if they would have just ended minutes. it. Yeah, if they would have just ended it after Iron Man's funeral. Yeah. That would have been fine. Yes, that's and, really all you but, need. Just end it right there. That's all you need, because then they took all their carefully established rules and broke them over their knee. And to be fair, this book doesn't break any rules, per se. Um, I just don't like time travel. It's it's one of my thing, one of those things that I just don't like. Um, which is a shame, because I, really lo- I actually really enjoy the first three quarters of this book, because... I really like the white scars. I think they're really fun. And we're going to mm-hmm. talk about them more here in a minute. And I'm kind of a sucker for the nids. I don't, uh, I'm starting to have mixed feelings on the Tyranids, honestly, which we're going to talk more about that here in a minute as well. Um, so I liked it up until the ending. So I am with you 100% on your second thing. We like, I don't know if we discussed that here on this podcast, but I know we have when we discussed comics. You bring in alternate dimensions and I'm out. Um, right. Which has been very hard for me to be a DC and Marvel comic book reader for a I long time. Say. Because, I mean, I, sometimes I have to just have to grin and bear through it. My big beef with time travel is not when it happens exactly in a story. It's when they use it to retcon things that have been going on for years. Yes. And that's a comic book thing. And a Saturnine thing, Dan Abnett. So, um, right. So, um, so those are like my my problems. Because like, again, when I was playing Bioshock Infinite, when you get to the alternate dimensions part, like I nearly dropped my controller. and was like, I can't deal with this anymore. And so me and my friends like, oh, no, no, but the ending is so great. It all comes together. It makes sense. It's perfect. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. And it was one of those that... 
And I kind of felt that way, you know, with that game is that they did not know how to wrap it up in the ending. And I think there right. was so many loose points that they had made that the game had gotten away from themselves and they got this pressure just to get it out. That there's, it's just, it was just too, too discombobulated for me personally. I know several people just loved it, but it hit on one of my things, the alternate dimensions. Right. Well, and I think the thing, so to your point, I will like this book a lot more in hindsight if, look, he got his characters into impossible and here's one of my big complaints about time travel and this is what often gets used is that he got his characters into a dire situation they're losing all hope is lost but then time travel comes in and it's all good now so oftentimes time travel is used to diminish the stakes when you look at devastation of ball the stakes were very very real mm -hmm. i mean obviously they were we talked about this in the Devastation of All podcast that they were obviously just cleaning up all of the successor chapters so that they could go forward, draw a line right. in the sand and say, okay, this is the Blood Angels going forward. And okay, that's fine. Uh, so the stakes were kind of artificially high, but I, I just don't like when it becomes a, the stakes are high. Nah, we got time travel. So that was just, that gets a little frustrating for me. Having said that, as long as this is like the only book that we see the time travel in, I'll probably be okay with it in hindsight. Um, I really do not want time travel to become a big thing in the Warhammer no. universe. I know that I know that it happens in a couple other books, um, or rather, I've been told that it happens in a few other books. Um, but as long as it doesn't become like a, a thing now, where like we're just constantly time traveling. Well, even the farseers in this said that could, they could it would only work with just a few people because the more it takes, us, the more it corrupts reality. So at least right. there's already those kind of rules there. So it doesn't sound like, it sounds like it can only happen like in some dire straits. And for the Eldar was the Drukhari. My only issue with the whole thing is if they wanted these guys, because I guess it's just the fucking Eldar, they wanted these guys to come and help them take care of the Drukhari Mm -hmm. decided to wait until the Tyranids were invading them and be like, oh, by the way, I can help you out if... Right. And and there was actually no... Well, and even if the Stormseer agreed in the beginning, okay, you know what? We could use your help and then we'll help you. But no, the Eldar were very much like, no, you help us first. Let all these people die. You help us first. And like, no, you help oh, yes. us first. You know, because we're the ones who are dying here. And then we will go go help you. Mm -hmm. That part I loved. That I thought was really great. I like that the Eldar. Um, so let's let's kind of let's transition and talk into that a little bit about Yeneth as a character and her the whole concept of her making a deal and the bargain between them. I like it because it just is that casual arrogance that the Eldar have, right? right. Where no gift is given open-handed, right? And even then, like, if you look at what happens, this planet is still not gonna make it out unscathed, right? Right. She's just basically like, I'm gonna make, I'm gonna go back 10 hours and make sure that, you know, it doesn't, you don't get totally hosed. And that's what I'm gonna do for you. Which if you, in the long run, the Eldar come out of the top end of that deal because the whole thing was to prevent the Nids from getting into the webway. 
which mm-hmm. to be fair would be pretty terrible. But I did like that they're kind of like, yeah, the nids are a you problem and we don't want to deal with that. So help us not have to deal with that. By saying that their okay. problem was really the Drukhari. Right. And then using right, the Drukhari. And then using the Drukhari is like, oh, they killed your your former master. Like, look, she still has his helm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That was kind of a dick move. I liked it, though. And she was like, don't believe me? Let me show you. And she touched his forehead, mm-hmm. and he was like, oh. <laughs> like, that was just, you will listen to me. I, so I liked that part of it. But ultimately, I guess I, I loved how much sense it made. Because I liked that the White Scarves initially were like, no. No. We're not working with you. Apparently, they missed the memo that the Eldar helped Robbie G. Um, well, if you remember, they're not. They don't. They're not even sure if that's true or not. They're. They're like, well, we heard this rumor. I love that, by the way. Yeah, like we need to verify if it's true. Mm-hmm. I also love that they're like, why did they get a primer? Yes. <laughs> well, or you maybe, know, maybe ours is back too. You know. Because- <laughs> I personally would think it'd be pretty cool if in the future, down the line, I don't care when, we see Jogaten come back with Jogatai Khan. That would be pretty cool. Okay. So. Because that's how Jogatai disappeared, right? Chase in the webway after the Eldar? Yes. So I actually was pretty stoked about that. And that is the one thing that I will definitely give kudos to Robbie McNiven for, because if you remember, they wanted to go and hunt for the Khan. That's mm-hmm. basically what all of the White Scars want to do. But with the tear in the veil and Wikidia falling, you kind of... Things are a little more important than finding your Primarch, mm-hmm. but I liked the idea in some ways. I liked the idea that this group of White Scars gets to have their cake and eat it too. They get to save the... save the planet and then they get to go off on the great hunt to find the con right i thought that was actually pretty lovely it was kind of a nice reward in in the end like it it seemed like it wasn't going to be a good thing by the way you guys were trapped here sorry um you know you can't really go back right minor details that we didn't mention in our deal should have read the fine print right the very very fine print but and it ended up you know, talk about, you know, making lemonade from lemons. Just, we're, right. we're here. Let's go. Well, and it doesn't take them long to put that together either. Right. When they're just like, oh, <laughs> like, pretty, pretty awesome, right? Yeah. Um, I thought that was a really good reward, especially for the characters who have suffered. And a lot of these guys. So let's talk about. Let's oh, talk man, poor Shen. Shen above the planet going, hello. Where are you guys? Is this thing on? <laughs> oh, I guess they all died. But we saved the planet. Yay! <laughs> Small confetti. I really liked Shen, by the way. Oh, yeah. He was one of my favorite characters. Um, So, let's start with how did you feel about the White Scars in general? I, this is really the first book that, as a book club, we have read that really delves into the White Scars um, post-heresy. So in the modern era, this so, is really the first book that we've read. This is really 
I mean, okay, so there was Apocalypse, but this was really the first uh, White Scars only book I have ever read. Right. I haven't even, uh, maybe I have read a short story in one of my anthologies, but I don't remember it. So it could have right. been like early on when I first started doing this and I'm like looking at it as like Black Templars, you know, some other random chapter. What's the, right. What, what is, I don't know what's going on, but I'm so confused. But I mean, it was Apocalypse that made me want to learn more about them and right. they didn't disappoint. Um, I really like, I mean, I'm not a big like biker fan, but I like the way that this is used. It's not used in a way that's overpowered. They gotta go fast. They do gotta go fast. <laughs> and I, do, I think I, I actually it. love it too. I texted you this because like every time that Jokoten would be like, we ride, I would immediately think of a wonderful episode of Teen Titans Go 40, 40, <laughs> 20% where Cyborg when they would go to like the eighties realm and he'd be like, we ride. <laughs> that was exactly what I pictured. And you remember, cause uh, what's his face has the cyber. Yeah. Talk. Yes. It's like the, I, yes. I, that, I yes. The imagined... eagle flying out. Mm -hmm. Yes. From the, if you have not seen teen Titans go 40, 40, 20, do yourself a favor and go watch it. Depending on how much you love the eighties. It's like mainlining the eighties, but I had this, oh, as soon as you said soul. that, <laughs> yes, like, and it's really funny because everybody that like you play that song from, well, everybody of Generation X, like if you were born, I would say probably before nineteen eighty two, when you listen to that song, it just immediately strikes a chord and resonates. <laughs> but so I had the same vision. I actually had the same, like, imagine of, like, Cyborg on there. And it kind of works because they're in power armor. And I kind of like, you know, the fact that they, how they use their bikes in combat. Yes. Which yes. also, God, remind me of Teens Titans Go with Robin because he had his motorcycle Monday. Where you could only do attacks with a motorcycle. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and... But they didn't do it in a way that was overly silly or no. over the top or like they're really trying to shove the bike thing in your face. So I thought that was no. very well done. And they really are fun. They use them smartly. Yes. Right? It wasn't because I feel as though like, okay, I think the Space Wolves are a really good example where the Space Wolves are space Vikings who just happen to have this werewolfy thing going on with them. But I feel as though in the recent years they've really leaned in to the wolf thing mm -hmm. and they're more space werewolves who happen to have some viking flavor to them so a lot of the wolf stuff I, in the hands of like we've read some really good authors with it it's good but some authors kind of lean just a little too much into the wolf stuff so i was a little worried going into this that it was just going to be bikes bikes everywhere but <laughs> it wasn't and it worked it felt so good when they would fight on yeah. those and when they would describe them on them it was just like oh i mean it it really did make it feel because they're space mongols it really did make them feel more like these horseback riders yeah than you know oh yeah dudes on bikes like i don't even know how to describe it like i guess going in i was kind of worried it was going to be like if you've ever seen the original dawn of the dead at the end of that movie when the biker gang descends on the mall I thought it was going to kind of be like that, which starts kind of awesome and then immediately goes lame. It, it was straight up badass. Oh, yeah. And there, I did, 
we always get to see that the space wolves and so there's the space wolves and the white scars and they are very much these laissez-faire we do what we want the codex is cute and all but stay away from us we have our own thing going on they are kind of the more barbaric of the space the loyalist space marines Mm -hmm. right and god they really are so very different so very different yes and i kind of like guys i mean like you know i I love my ultramarines and everything but there's just something about this group that they feel freeing if that makes any sense yes yeah no it no totally does yeah because they just feel so you know i loved it this one part in here where Jokaten talks about how the uh, the Khan, Jogatai Khan, always talked about how you should always fight with a smile. Yes. Because there's nothing more I condescending. Got chills. Yeah, there's nothing more condescending than to kill someone with a smile on your face or to throw it back in your killer that you're fine with what's going on. Yes. I actually got chills reading that section because this idea. Because I always, I always knew that that was one of the cons things, but then when he explains, right, to show that you're in no danger, mm-hmm. right, this combat is not concerning to you at all. I loved that idea because it is, it is very Mongolian. <laughs> if, you, if you know the history of the Mongols, they, uh, these were not nice people. Um, so this, I loved that idea, but they kind of have this, cause you have that, right? Where you yeah. have this like, this barbaric, almost cruelty to them. They're like hunting hawks and they have this smile at your enemies. And yet when he talks about doing the calligraphy, there's almost this kind of warrior poet to them and how they oh, always like go have these sayings. What 100%, and- yeah, you know, I was, you know, totally imagining them like another Mongolians, but I was still just imagining them like, with their paintbrush practicing calligraphy um even though their language is not exactly like that but you know that's it like samurai i was gonna say they're more like samgolians <laughs> mongari i don't know anyway Sam, we're gonna go with samgorians um they are they do have this kind of this reverence to battle and this reverence so i'm one of my jams is Romance of the Three Kingdoms, the actual book. I've read all of them because I was a, was a really big Tenchu or a Romance of the Three Kingdoms video game fan. Anyways, um, a lot of the characters in there, they really remind me of that. And one of the characters in here, I actually, uh, Feng, I actually pictured him looking like Lubu from there, which if I have any Dynasty Warriors fans, um, <laughs> Hooray for niche genres! Welcome! Your <laughs> <laughs> Warhammer niche. Um, but I really did, and I loved that. I felt like this this book really felt kind of almost like a White Scars 101 or a White Scars primer that you really got to see well, into them. Well, it literally has a glossary in the front. Yes. <laughs> which I actually yes. did look back at constantly. I did as well. Um, so one of the things that I really like about the Warhammer books, this is kind of a side thing, but one of the things that I like is when they do the Dramatis Personae. In the oh, beginning that's something of the I books. love about I the Horus Heresy. Uh. Oh God, I love it. It's, there's something I really like about it, but whoever decided to do this, this uh, glossary here, I don't know if that was Robbie McNiven or whom, but. Thank you. 
keep doing the thing, please. <laughs> Would other people please pick that up? Because it was I the same thing. The a lot of the things I was like. I think I understand what this is, but then I would flip to the glossary and be like, oh, I was right. Excellent. Um, so actually, as I'm looking at this, this reminds me about another thing that was very interesting. I thought about the white scars. So okay. the white scars treat librarians very differently than other chapters do. Right? Kind of, again, like the space wolves, the space wolves do not have psychers. Thank you. They have rune priests. <laughs> and this and the white scars have always kind of been like that too like we do not have psychers we have storm seers who just happen to do the same thing as the psyker um the whole concept that they can like no matter where they are travel back to the lightning tower that was kind of cool right yeah no, I, I, I agree. I was just thinking in my head and I was like, but it was, you know, in the Council of Nicaea, it was Dagatai who was on Magnus's side. Yes. He was because, and they've established, they work with this a lot more with Jagatai. That's really becoming a defining piece of him was that, especially in his uh, Primark novel, this idea that People just need to know what the warp is because my storm seers are bad ass. And well, didn't you also say didn't... that Jagatai was really big about the emperor? Like, you need to fucking tell people the truth about yes. everything. Yes, very much so. Because again, he's like, my storm seers are badass. Look at all the cool stuff they can do and how helpful they are because they know what they're dealing with. So that was his kind of big thing, and so. I, but I thought that was so cool. And just the way that they talk about some of the storm, like the way that that guy referred to his powers mm -hmm. a lot. It's like, oh, it's very cool. It was, again, that warrior poet thing where I was like, right. oh. So, I don't know. It just made me feel good about it. Do you feel like you better understand the white scars? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It just, it's made me like them even more, to be totally honest. So, so they have moved up in my esteem. Like, like they were a chapter a i was just like oh, space like space not, nothing against like mongolians it just was like the biker dudes like it's obvious they're trying to appeal to you know the the asian fans with this and they're bikers and they're the white scars like what does that what's that even do like i just didn't care anything about it and it was really apocalypse like oh <laughs> these guys were fun yeah. Well, okay, and so that's one thing that I thought was really cool about this, and I'd be interested on your take. As I was reading this book, I kept thinking of the character from Apocalypse, and I was like, oh, yeah, these guys would party together. Oh, <laughs> like, <yes. laughs> Of course, they yeah. like, well, sometimes you read books, and there'll be a character from a chapter, and then you'll go and you'll read a book about that chapter, and you're like, I don't, I don't know that this is how I imagine them. Like, this character feels like he might be different from the rest of them or something, and no, those guys would party. Oh yeah. Even though that that guy's still Christopher Plummer from Star Trek Six. I mean, the thing about the White the Scars mind. is that I think the White Scars are probably some of the most accepting, uh, the most accepting chapter, Legion. And they accept everybody. Right. They they understand and they accept, and they want people to do the same for them. Just accept this is how we are. You're not going to tell us what to do. We're going to do our own right. thing. Like you guys were telling me, um, you know, in the Siege of Terra that Dorne was telling 
Jagatai's like, we have to stay here. He's like, hell, I do. I've, I got other things like, I gotta like, go do. No, I'm leaving. Yeah. No, 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 you need to stay here. <laughs> Maybe I was unclear. I leave. <laughs> <laughs> it was, yeah, No, nobody puts Khan in the corner. <laughs> it was... I mean, so but he, he can't reference. go fast on, the, on Doran's walls, I mean. No, and that's a big thing that I love about the White Scars, is that they know where their strength lies. And I think you really saw that in this mm -hmm. book with the bikes, right? Like, we know what our strengths are. We know what aren't our strength. And we play to them. They and even, I loved... They even said that how they weren't going to build, like, this huge siege. Because they're like, that's not, what, that's not how we work. That's not what we do. Nope. We're not the Imperial Fists. Mm -mm. Well, and one of the things that I really we love break about walls. this book. I love. Yeah, <laughs> we exactly. Don't, we don't build them. We don't build them. We just, yeah. One of the things I really loved was the whole concept of this book that they're defending this planet, which they admit is not very strategic. It's not terribly important to the Imperium, but it is one of their recruiting worlds and they are honor bound to defend it, mm -hmm. even though they knew it was somewhat hopeless. I really did like that concept that we're honor bound to be here. And not only that, but, but that this particular brotherhood has had a bad experience on this on this planet. You know, just 200 this years prior. This particular brotherhood has had a lot of bad experiences. <laughs> like, let's, but yeah, this is not their first rodeo on, on this planet. Or, yeah, I mean, there was something really neat about that that doesn't matter. We're here. I did, however, like when all of, like, the... Um, the upper echelon, like, oh, you're going to bring us up to your ships, right? <laughs> we're going to save you all together or none at all. So take your pick. Yeah, I, gosh, when they were talking about, you know, we have to bring in all the steps people in right. here. And they're like, well, where are they going to go? Like, oh, I don't know. Under the city with everybody else? Like, but 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 people will write. I mean, the smell alone is like, okay, um, so, so you get to live because you bathe more often like what what is the the deal here it was just yes well i think that's you know we've seen this a lot in books and i loved that i laughed out loud at that scene because we've seen this a lot in books where people don't understand why the space marines are there right right or they don't understand they don't grasp the gravity of the situation now there were a couple of things going on here which we're going to branch into but the idea that it's constantly, which for the space reads, it has to be so frustrating when you show up, Hey, we're here to save you. These are all the things we got to do. And people start griping at you and you're like, you, you really don't understand what's going on here. That well, you was, know, and it's something that we I saw really that. in the, uh, you know, watchers of the throne series. Yes. Very With much like, so. All the Terrans are just like, but my things, it's like, there are demons in the streets right, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly what'll it be fletch right. i always so let's talk more tyranids so the tyranids this was a hive fleet cicatrix mm -hmm. which had branched off from ball um thanks rob uh what are you gonna do right they're huge right uh first off how did, let's talk about because 
in my mind, I categorize the tyranids and the gene stealers a little differently, even though, yes, I know the gene stealers' sole purpose is to call down the tyranids. How did, how did you feel about the tyranids as an antagonist on the whole? Well, I don't like the tyranids. So, and it's mainly because, just because they're so OP, to bring a video game term into this, it's... They, you know, it's like the more they kill, the more they learn, the stronger they get, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. And not only that, but now after reading this book, thanks, Robbie. Thank you. You triggered one of my most irrational fears, and that was not cool. Which I've already yelled at him on Twitter for this. <laughs> so the scene where the hive ship eats the space station whole... Oh, yes. Being eaten alive, as dumb as that sounds, is probably one of my biggest irrational fears. And just the way they were describing it with acids coming in and then the bugs. Okay, if anyone's seen the original Mummy, when it was, you know, young, mm -hmm. back when Brendan Fraser was young and thin. Um, that movie, that movie has aged flawlessly, by the way. Oh, good. That, that actually makes me happy because I really like that movie. We showed, we showed it to my daughter recently. But early on when they showed the scarab beetles going under the skin and eating them from the inside out. I nearly walked out of the theater because I was like, I, if this is going to be the whole movie, I cannot deal with this. So I, oh, that scene triggered me, but for a different reason. Because when they talk about the thing devouring them and then the acid coming through, it's probably like digestive acid, right. right? So all I could think about is, you know, when you puke? Yes. The stomach. Mm, like I could smell that scene. Mm. And... Like, right now, as I'm talking about it, I'm like... <laughs> well, it's like, and it's not just enough that we're all either going to be crushed, you know, as we're right. swallowed, or we're going to be digested with this horrible acid. I mean, I have to say that the captain of that got the best end of that deal for the instant, oh, easily. instant death. But easily. also, there's those bugs that are just hanging out in the acid, ready to eat you from the inside out. I mean, mm -hmm. no. I could see how that would be a little traumatic if that was one of your irrational fears. Yes, I could see that now. Yes. I I could just smell that scene. Oh, and I, so the only thing that saved me was, I don't know if you've seen Gremlins 2. I have not. Oh my god. So I have a okay. huge soft spot for that Okay, movie. the only reason why I haven't seen it is because back when it was first advertised and everything else, it looked incredibly stupid, so I just kind of stayed away from it. I didn't realize the whole backstory of why it was stupid. It was amazing. It's an amazing movie. But at the end, they end up, spoiler alert, they end up killing all the gremlins by melting them. Again? And, yes. Okay. Um, but it's very funny because the way that they're all melting down, I... That was the only thing that saved me in that scene, you guys. I could smell it, and I was really disgusted, but then all of a sudden I was like, <laughs> it's like that scene in Gremlins. Anyways. But these are people, not Gremlins. Uh, <laughs> now it just got dark again. I, yeah, the Tyranids, I'm with you on it, though. I used to really like the Tyranids, and I still kind of like them conceptually, because again, and I know that I've made this comparison, I think I made this comparison when we read um, that one book. Devastation of Bulb? Fist of the Imperium. Devastation oh. of Bulb, but also Fist of the Imperium. Okay. Yeah. Also had the nids. Um, I 
am getting a little tired of the Terranids. And it's not, again, this is nothing about the authors using them. It's just them as a concept. Because in the old days, I really liked the Terranids because they reminded me conceptually people of the Borg from Star Trek. Because they were just this, not mindless isn't the right word for the Borg, but they were this, you cannot bargain with these people. Right? You can't bargain with the Tyranids. They are a mindless. They have one desire, and that is to devour everything or assimilate everything into them. And then they just move on. That's terrifying. In a world, the Warhammer 40k universe of terrifying things, space mushrooms that just want to kill everything because it's funny to them, <laughs> right? Chaos, which, enough said, weeboo commies. Um, I mean, it's there's all these... <laughs> <laughs> mind control people mind control that scares the shit out of me now space uh, locusts right so you have all these and the murder bugs were scary but now the fact that they're just becoming a little op they're becoming to the point where i'm like okay you're gonna need a literal literal deus machina to deal with these things because at some point i think i made the same argument in devastation of fall and in fist of the imperium at some point these things are going to eat so much they're going to be impossible to deal with. You're already starting to see that, right? Where they're like, oh, well, this doesn't work on them anymore. And like with when the one guy, the, um, oh, I can't think of the name of the, what the, it wasn't the Lictor, but the guy who could make himself invisible. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, it was yeah, a Lictor. Yeah. It was a Lictor, I was yeah. like, really? And then like a bunch of the other things, just all these little abilities that they have, these things, they're becoming to the point where it's so OP you're going to need to have something like a time travel mechanic or some just massive deus ex machina to come in and save everybody from it. Which is interesting because I actually went back and grabbed Devastation of Ball when it mentioned the Lictor okay. and that. Because I was uh -huh. like, I thought the Lictor was like this little bitty wormy thing that just kind of dove into right. the ground and did its own thing. And I was right in Devastation of Ball. And now it's some giant murder thing. So Right. I don't know. Yes. And I don't I don't know what's going on there. And I don't know if it happens to do with so if you do a Google image search for them, like sometimes different models come back for them. So I don't know if they've like done because I had I had a similar concept where he was describing what they looked like and I was like, huh. And I looked it up and oh that is what they look like. Okay. Oh, but wait, they looked slightly different before. I don't know. It's entirely possible that I was misunderstanding. But, yeah, they're just a very, I'm getting to the point where I used to really like them, and now I'm kind of like, oh, the mids. I mean, it's really, it's kind of been this way with me. Like, I really liked them in the Aerial Adventurous Chronicles. I thought that was very, right. very well done. Yes. Um, and again, they didn't have just one company. They had, like, a whole other chapter there as well. Yep. And the Death Watch, just saying. Right. Um, right. But now it's just like, these fucking guys again. Yes, exactly. You're starting to get to the point where they're not really that... Yeah. And I feel as though... And I get it. I kind of get it. Because something's going on with the Tyranids. Obviously. I mean... Right. Obviously something's going on. And I'm wondering if Kadia has something to do with it. Well, the fact that, it, yeah, they've become a little bit more prevalent since the fall of Cadia. Now, I don't know if it's because 
the authors as a collective got together and were like, you know, the Tyranids, we really could be doing a lot more with them. Um, or if Black Library or Games Workshop has said, we really need to start putting these guys forward as being more prevalent, but there's, there's a market uptick in them. And I'm not sure how I feel about that. Because orcs just aren't sexy anymore? Okay, the orcs are always sexy because they're soccer hooligans. <laughs> the soccer hooligan <laughs> fungus. It's like the, the orcs are fucking terrifying. Um, oh my god, yes. In Blood of Ajax, another Robbie McNiven book. Right. They are, they, I mean, that is the biggest disconnect I've ever had reading a book. Because they're horrifying and hilarious. Well, it's almost kind of like, uh, I'm going to talk about this game again. Space Marine, you know, the first half of the game is against the orcs, and they were yep. terrifying. When I got surrounded by them, and I didn't have enough to, you know, do my, uh, invoke my rage and rebuild my health, uh -huh. I was screwed. But when you heard them in the corridors, you know, in their little Gackney accent, oh, yeah. it was hilarious. Like, I was they trying to... funny. I was trying to figure out, I was like, I'm supposed to be scared of these guys, or do I find them funny? But, Yeah. And I think we even said in Blood of Ajax, like, during some of those orc chapters, you almost find yourself rooting for the orcs. <laughs> they were like, oh, insane. yeah, this is so awesome. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, wait, <laughs> like, there's a very I have a huge cognitive disconnect with the uh, with the orcs. And they're just awesome. And unfortunately, I know that we can't always use the orcs. Right. But we're going to use the orcs. Like. I did like, though, I will say, the one thing that I liked about the Nids in this was I liked that there was fallout from Ball. That they didn't just right. fuck off into the ether. Yes, that, yes. Okay, no. These things have to eat to live, so great, Ball. You're you're saved. Saved. <laughs> now it's just somebody else's problem. Right. No, I, I did kind of like that it was this, this nice, like, right after Ball, because I knew they didn't get everybody. So I was like, well, right. what is that other little part? Where are they going to go? Just, nope, some other planet's problem. <laughs> exactly. We've done our part. Not the Blood Angels problem. <laughs> so then let's talk a little bit about the gene stealers on here. Because you've got a patriarch. That's really funny to say. The dude in the catacombs. The big worm thing? Yes. People calling the Tyranids, as it were. Right. So I was. So I know what the Jane Steelers are. Um, I find them weird. I know how they operate and how they work. I did not understand the patriarch. It was a little different than the ones we've seen previously because we saw one in uh, Belisarius Call the Great Work. We saw one in, um, or like the head guy. Yeah, this, yeah, yeah. this guy was different because we also saw them in, um, we literally just talked about it, Fists of the Imperium. Right. This guy was a little different. Yeah. Because it was just like this. I think my giant worm thing, right? I mean, I, I know that I know there was the Moloch, which is also a giant worm right. thing. But then this thing was like right. a giant worm thing because they talked about how it could swallow, you know, a ship hole or, or, right. or whatever. So I was just—it didn't make any sense if to me. If you've never how... seen a Moloch figure, they're super cool. 
no thanks um it just kind of made me think of uh i just lost my train of thought that's fun that's this is where i am in the quarantine people i lose my train of thought often fair and i stare off into space (laughs) oh seriously (laughs) um but i felt that in my soul so like i was just really confused i was like i didn't think that's what a patriarch was was this gigantic worm thing that they're all worshiping down there it was just weird and so and the kind gene, of was the gene stealers to me if they feel like something that no author 100 percent agrees on what they are what they look like and how they operate because like even in video games i have in, i've played two different video games with two different sets of gene stealers and they were completely different from anything else you know, from each other and from anything else I've read. So I don't know if the gene stealers, they just are able, like, they don't really look like any one thing because they're gene stealers or or if it's just something that the authors can use to, to play with. Um, it just kind of goes back to, like, something I just don't like about the Nids. And, and I'd probably like the Tyranids better if they just weren't the whole OP thing. You want to bring in space locusts? Fine, I get that. That would be terrifying. But then to have them learn the whole time, that's not fun. You know, right. Well, and some of the stuff I might be okay with, but some of it, if you chase it down to its logical conclusion. Right. And I think, I think my only complaint there, and this was probably my biggest complaint with the book, was that because we saw that the planetary governor in that intro right. scene, I actually... I think I would have enjoyed that part of the plot a little better had we not known that something was off of him. Mm-hmm. Had he just kind of been like, because honestly, when you go back and you look at his character and a lot of their interactions, he could have just been in shell shock, right? Like when they talk about how he's just a little off, now it's the Tyranid, so you're probably just going to go ahead and assume right. that, you know, that's what's going on here. Um, but. I think I would have liked not knowing that a little better because it got to the point, it got to a certain point where I was like, he is clearly, clearly just look at the guy. When they were like, we're going to put him one of the catacombs. I was like, please don't, please don't. <laughs> like, again, it was the uh, red letter media. Palpatine's behind it just the whole time. Like, don't, don't do the thing. Anyways, that could have just been me. But so where t- how do you even know? Where does everybody go from here? Well, the planet seems to be like somewhat okay. You know, most of the steps people, the ones that the tribes that lived, you know, were being escorted out. Right. By the uppity people who didn't want to let them in in the first place. They're actually being escorted because right. it's still peak furnace season to go where they mm-hmm. would normally migrate. And then, you know, they're rebuilding and, and whatever. Um, right. Eldar, I do not care about, although I am, I don't care about them, and yet I'm curious how this is all fitting together with them, because I know we just read Fabius, Fabius Bot, and that does take place in the past, but, you know, again, we got a lot of Eldar going on, we have the Eldar that was part of the two Eldar, not just, and everyone just thinks about, you know, the big titty Eldar GF, but there was another one who was actually the main player in bringing back, um, Robbie Bobby. That, thanks, Jen, for that meme. It's probably my favorite. You're Robbie Bobby. so welcome. Um, Robbie Bobby is Robbie my Bobby. favorite. Yes. Uh, bringing back Robbie Bobby. 
And of course, you want like I said, Eldar with Fabius Bile, and then we have the Eldar here. So it's like, what? What is going on with them? Like, how is this? This is all coming to a head somehow, and they've got to be a part of this psychic awakening. Awakening. Why? Because they're Eldar. Yes. Because they're Eldar, and I agree with you 100%. They are definitely becoming bigger players. They are definitely, with the Eldar, and I think this book especially, they remind me of, it reminds me of a chess game. Except they're the ones moving the pieces around. Well, that's kind of how it felt with Fabius, their, Fabius Bile, too. You know, that, they're, that they so. were trying, well, they were trying to do the chess pieces, but nobody, nobody moves. Fabius's piece because he's just going to pull something out of his ass always. Right, right. Well, nobody knew he had a treason in his pocket. Um, so you have, they feel like they're moving more. And obviously they have been since the Horus Heresy. We've kind of established that, right, with the whole Cabal thing. But they remind me every time I look at them and with all this stuff, like, oh, we can prevent this and we can do this. I just hear Voss in my head. Have I ever told you the definition of insanity? Insanity is trying the same thing over and over again, thinking shit's gonna change. Like they keep, they remind me of the Grecian hero or tragic hero who keeps trying to avoid their fate, right? Mm. What's the, uh, oh, what's that? It's actually phrased beautifully in Again, the highbrow classic Kung Fu Panda, um, when Master Ugwe says, like, uh, one often meets their fate on the road to avoid it. Feel like the Eldar are those people. They're constantly like, no, it's cool. We're just going to move these chess pieces here. And mm, that didn't go the way we expected. Or maybe it is. Maybe this is all going to be one giant Eldari Xanatos gambit. And maybe that's why the emperor is not waking up. He's just like, this is fun. I'm just going to watch you guys fuck up this game. Right. He's just like, I'm just going to wait. Y'all are going to need me eventually. <laughs> right. <laughs> and it's, it's interesting to me that this is yet another chapter now. And granted, they kind of got forced into it. And nobody else from the White Scars is going to know that they did the thing. But can can you imagine that conversation if they do run into the con? How um, did you guys get here? Funny story. Well, I mean, so Quisen was still contacting, you know. That's true. Back at the main plant. So they know where he was. And he even talked to them. Like, you know, you still need to be there to help him grow, basically. So, That's true. So they, they know. They just right, don't know so what happened to them. This is another chapter that's gotten buddy-buddier with the Eldar. Yes, well, sort of. Actually, the Dark Angels have gotten buddy-buddy with the Tau. I mean, shit's kind of gone crazy now. Just to beat the Fallen, I'm pointing directly to Well, the Phil they got buddy-buddy with the Tau to kill the Knights of Absolution. Yeah. Although I forget why they wanted to kill the Knights of Absolution. Because of the Fallen, maybe? Because the Fallen was fallen. there. That's right. So, and then, and then the, the Tau fallen. couldn't even do that right. <laughs> Look. Sometimes you got to kill your own successor chapters to hide your deep, dark secret. I'm just say it. I'm still I not mean, over that book, by the way. What? I'm still not over that book. They killed my man, who was a bad dark angel. He was a very, he was a very you know, to quote 
the Song of Ice and Fire. He he did not play the game well. <laughs> he did not play the game well at all. The game of secrets was over his head, so he was a bad one. But you know what? I'm not over it. Still, uh, yeah. But this is another chapter. I mean, there. I did like that they had that. We do not treat with the Xenos. Yeah. <laughs> Um, well, I mean, I think it was one of those was like, well, we have a choice here. We can either True. we can either can not work with them and continue on and continue with our failure or we can fail and uh, try to get vengeance or we can get vengeance and possibly succeed. So I mean, what was, oh my gosh, what was that one chapter? Because one thing I loved was all these quotes. Ah, here it is. I actually turned right to it. It is never about yes. trying to convince the Monke to trust us, for they never will. It is about showing them that they have no choice in the matter. To which when I read that, I was like, man, that's so elven. <laughs> just... Okay, but can we just say for one second... That if they were to call me a monkey to my face, you're not clever. Oh, Although. I never said it was clever. <laughs> but I would be very insulted. I'd be like, you know what? No. Find another slur for me. Please. Monkey. And they say it like to their faces, too. It's like you could at least just say human when you're asking them a favor. Well, I like that they call they call humans the monkey. And... The Tau call them the Gwila. Monkey and Gorilla. Oh, I didn't even put that so together. Nice. Yeah. So nice. Don't calm down to my face, motherfucker. Even though I don't have a choice. But yes, that I read that quote too and I was like, classic Eldar. I actually really... So that's another thing that I like. And a couple of the authors do that when they'll have those like little quotes from people before the chapters. And that's one of those little flavor things that just makes my heart happy. Every time I read them, even if I don't agree with it, or even if I don't particularly like the quote, I like that it's there. I'm always like, hmm. it adds this nice, um, I don't know. It adds this just nice flavor to it. Well, I, I even liked um, the head of the Drukhari, uh, Scalarix. Some of her oh, yeah, comments yeah. on things were very interesting. Um Yes. She'd Why known we talk about her real quick. She'd known Yeneth and her ghost constructs would return, seeking to dislodge her either by force or misplaced lies about the devourer. I found that fascinating. Be a little another curious. thing she said. Well, but you know what? I think that goes back to what I was saying that ah. they keep trying to they keep trying to avoid their fate and manipulate their fate. And sometimes I wonder, and her comment actually made me wonder, like, is this really your destiny? Is this really, like, do you know for 100%, like, can you tell me for certain that the Devourer is going to get into the webway? Or is this just what you're, like, saying? Like, is it like a Conrad Kerr's thing where you've seen a couple of visions and this vision scares you the most, so that's the one that's true? Or that's the one you're going to do your best to avoid. Right, to avoid. I hear, and here was... Here's the other quote. Of course, a craft world like Ayanden, 
which tortured its own dead and forced them to serve its whims, would trick the brute monkey into aiding them. Which is just kind of a nice way of saying both sides really suck. Yes, and I actually highlighted that quote as well for the same reason, because, yeah, like, it. but I think it goes back to one of my all-time favorite memes, which was a quote from Black Panther, where someone's like, well, who are the good guys and who are the bad guys in Warhammer 40k? We don't do, we don't that, do here. that here. Yeah. Yeah. Nobody, you cannot point to one faction and be like, no, no, these are the good guys. You can point to factions and be like, it's like the Imperium. These are the guys who won't skin you alive and eat your face. These are the slightly better. Your dead body. The slightly better. Right. <laughs> They'll just boil down your dead body and turn you into corpse starch. Um, or kill you to hide a secret. Either way. Turn you into um, a servitor. Right. These are the better guys, I guess. I don't know. Like, it's it's really hard to say that. And especially with the Eldari, you have this ancient ass race, right? Like, these people have some crazy shit that they're doing. So the idea that obviously the Jakari are a little worse, but neither of them are like, you know, they're not, uh, oh, shoot. What is her name? I was trying to think of the elves from the forest elves from Lord of the Rings, and I can't think of them at all right now. They're not them, though. <laughs> this is not your, you know, we're just peaceful. Right. No, they're not the high elves <laughs> that you come across in high fantasy and things no. like that. They're just a little nicer than their cousins. And they woke up Robbie Bobby. Which has got to be for something they need some later in time. So it's just a matter of when. Let me ask you this. Does this book end with a voicemail to Robbie G? I don't think so. Because. I don't think so either. Because nobody's really around. Thanks, Rob. (laughs) Or I mean, except for like them saying, you know, because if the lightning tower comes and checks on the planet and be like oh my god everybody's dead but the planet survived well and all the tyranids are dead well we can maybe call rob robbie bobby and be like hey the rest of that we cleaned swarm, up your mess yeah it's gone right right but that seems more like a status check-in right and not really okay. a not really a voicemail of so <laughs> Hey, Rob. Yeah, no. This one, this one did not. So we can mark this in the not a voicemail category. So because, as probably you've noticed, this book was published in 2017, we're just continuing along our catching up on 2017 because of the quarantine and the fact that there's no new books. We are next going to branch into more Inquisition cloak and dagger stuff with John French's Ooh. Resurrection. Ooh, you have the hard. I do have the hardcover. Pretty, shiny. All shiny. Yep. Me, my first time reading something by John French. As I've, I've read no. Okay, I've read one short story by him, but just me like my first like book mm-hmm. by him. I think I read uh, Solar War, and I read. I've read a few of his short stories as well. Actually, so as a slight teaser preview. One of the things we've discussed this summer is reading the Aramon omnibus by him. So 
this might be the John French show starring John French fans <laughs> for a little while. <laughs> just, it's, hopefully they'll start publishing new books and we might have to put Armin off for a bit so that we can get like our new book fixed. Because I do kind of feel like a junkie where I'm like, I need new books. Well, it's like, because we always had planned to do Ariman over the summer. Mm-hmm. But we also thought we are going to have a lot more new books coming out. <laughs> so. Yep. So, no, I mean, but I'm really excited. I mean, Inquisition. I'm not entirely complaining because it's been nice to go through some some of my backlog here for this it stuff. Is. But uh, but I am ready to see what Robbie Bobby and friends are doing next in yes. the world. Very much so. And I'm actually really excited to read this guy though because I feel as though you know I have a really good handle on how Dan Amet treats the Inquisition. We have a really good handle on how Chris Rate treats the Inquisition. Mm-hmm. See how John French does. And I'm always a sucker for a group of badasses. And they do I mean, look like it. They do. I mean, so it looks I'm, like you got I'm like really a excited for this book. So it looks like you got a space pirate, a space yes. samurai. And I don't know what to call the bald guy. guy? With a giant anyway. hammer. Also, these books came recommended to us. Was it by our random imperial citizen? Or I believe it was adapt? our... No, it was our random imperial citizen. Because he recommended that we get into this eventually. Yep. So and, um, they just It's eventually. Short story collection. It's eventually. Yeah. <laughs> we get there. Slowly but surely. You want to take us out, Carrie? Yes, I sure will. So you have listened to the Warhammer 40k book club episode regarding The Last Hunt by Robbie McNiven. Be sure to join us for our next book, Resurrection by John French. So we are an unofficial book club and not affiliated with the Black Library or any of its affiliates. You can find both the vidcast and podcast on our website, wh40kbookclub.com. If you like this episode, please like, subscribe, review, and all those good things to the vidcast on YouTube or the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. Don't forget, we also have a Patreon where we offer two different tiers of content for your viewing and listening pleasure. You can learn more about that at patreon.com slash wh40kbookclub. Our site also has articles about our adventures in reading other Warhammer 40k books and short stories outside of the book club books. So please stay a while and read from McCrag. Good night, everybody. Good night. Warhammer 40k book club is hosted by Jen Bozier and me. Recording and editing of both the vidcast and podcast were done by me. The book club questions and discussion format were done by Jen, and all of our music is by Jingle Punks. The Warhammer 40k book club is a Warhammer LLC production. This is a Voxcast that even he, Cato Sicarius, would approve.